All right. Good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you're here. As we said before, we believe it's no accident that you are here. And uh, my name's John. If we haven't a chance to meet, we'd love to connect with you uh, afterwards. It is no accident that God brought you to this place today. Uh, no matter what uh, state your heart or your mind are in today, no matter what brought you here today, maybe you're a Cyclone fan and you're here to grieve today, or you're a Hawkeye fan and you're getting your prayers in right now uh, as well. So I noticed worship went up a little bit today. Uh, it's, it's one of those two. It's amazing how basketball drives us to worship uh, or prayer in whatever that way is. But uh, on a deeper note than that, God really does know exactly where you're at today. Uh, regardless of whether you care about basketball or sports, God knows exactly where your heart and your mind are at today. He knows what you brought in. He knows the kind of week that you've had. He knows what you're stressing about. He knows what you've got on your to-do list for the week. He knows what's going on at work. He knows what's going on with your kids. And the amazing thing is that Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus is here this morning. His presence is here, and he knows exactly what you need to hear. Whatever that word of challenge or encouragement or maybe a little healthy, holy conviction or that word of forgiveness and grace that you so desperately need this morning, that is available for you today. Something that we like to do uh, from time to time, normally you see uh, Chris or I up here preaching live, but from time to time we like to get all on the same page, being one church in multiple locations. So all of our sites today, as well as our uh, local sites uh, as well, uh, we're going to hear from Pastor Mike, our senior pastor as well. Uh, we're going to go live in just a second uh, as well. It's good to be on the same page. It's good to be reminded that we're one church in multiple locations. We're one church family. And so uh, as we do, make sure to have your Bibles uh, open to Mark chapter 8 uh, was our reading uh, that we had today as we continue through this series called Miracle March. And no, we're not talking about basketball miracles and, and last second shots. We are talking about the miracles that the book of Mark is filled with. And if you've been around the last couple weeks, God's been doing some pretty amazing things uh, around here as he's been touching people, uh, a touch from God right where they need it. And we're excited to continue this series today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 8 or your Bible apps, follow along uh, as well. If you need a Bible, these Abundant Life Bibles are in the back. They are for you uh, to take uh, as well. And we would encourage every single person to bring their Bible uh, every single week. But if Mike's got something on the screen, read it along, read it along together. He knows he's preaching to you today, so it's good uh, to be the church as well. So as we prepare our hearts today, let's go, to, let's go together uh, to God in prayer. God, we thank you that you indeed know our stories and you know what kind of week we've had. You know what brought us here today, what drove us here today. God, you know us better than anyone else, <laughs> even those that know us and love us best. God, you know exactly what we need to hear today, and we thank you that you're a God that meets us where we're at. Your word has the power to do that. It has the power to speak to us, to transform us, to leave us different people when we leave here today than when we walked in. So God, regardless of where we're at with you today, if we're feeling connected to you, if we're feeling that closeness, or maybe there's a disconnect there, maybe some apathy, maybe we're tired, maybe we're overwhelmed, whatever that is, God, would you meet us where we are, and by the power of your word, would you speak that word to us this morning that only you can? So God, open up our hearts, make, make our hearts like clay, because we know that you are the potter. God, mold us and shape us Make our hearts soft and receptive to what you have to say to us today. Help us to be fully present to what you have for us this morning. 
as we encounter you in these amazing stories in the gospel. God, we love you. Speak now. We pray all this in your name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. I love the miracle stories of Jesus. I mean, who, who doesn't want to go to a picnic with Jesus? If you want to go to a picnic with Jesus, say, I do. I mean, you don't have to bring any food. A filet of fish provided, you know, for free along the way. And he feeds thousands of people with just seven loaves of bread in this story. And that's two chapters after feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. So if you're doing the math and keeping score, what's really kind of fun and intriguing here is the leftovers. After the miracle in Mark 6, there's 12 baskets left over. Everybody's fed and is satisfied. The Bible makes a point of that. And after the miracle story in Mark chapter 8, there's seven baskets left over. And biblical scholars, I love this, say that, you know, there aren't any numbers by accident in the Bible. And so that they have to symbolize something. Nobody knows exactly for sure. But I think the best possibility is what biblical scholars say is the 12 leftovers in Mark 6 represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and the seven baskets of leftovers here in Mark 8, our Bible reading for today, represent the 70 Gentile nations that were believed to be in the world in Middle Eastern culture at that time. That's everybody. That's Jews and Gentiles. That's every human being on planet Earth then from the perspective of those who are receiving this gospel, and if they read it and they understand the numbers and they do the math, what they're getting is, is that when Jesus shows up, there's always more. There's always plenty. People are always going to be satisfied. They're going to be filled in not just physical ways, but in spiritual ways too. And then there's leftovers. There's leftovers for the whole world, not just the disciples and not just the crowd who's there, but there's 12 baskets for all the descendants of Abraham and Sarah of leftovers for everybody who's not in that story. And then there's seven more baskets for all the non-Jews, the Gentiles, that's the rest of the world. The stories are rich in Mark's gospel and, and they paint a story. So I'm glad you're here. We're in this series during the month of March. We're focusing in on a different book of the Bible every month during 2019, and this month it's the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel, the first half, specifically is where we've been looking uh, in the month of March. As we turn the page to next month, we'll go to the Gospel of John, and, and we'll look more toward the cross. But the front half of Mark, and the reason we picked this is because it tells these miracle stories. These stories about the way uh, Jesus showed up and he moved. We've looked at last week Jesus uh, raising Jairus' daughter, daughter from the dead and, and healing the woman um, who, who was sick and, and was bleeding. And then we looked at him calming the storms. Uh, we, we've looked at him doing miracle after miracle after miracle. And eventually they start to paint a uh, broader picture for us and one that starts to color in and, and show us things that we might have missed otherwise. So welcome, everybody. I'm, I'm glad you're here for this. Uh, this is uh, clearly the service for Cyclone fans, Panther fans, and Hawkeye fans who know how to set their DVRs. So I'm really, really glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. I do notice that a guy who actually played for the Hawkeyes in the NCAA tournament back in the 80s several times and was a star on the team has come to this service. Good job out of you, Al. And just to keep things balanced and fair, we also have the former starting uh, post player for the Iowa State Cyclones, Howard, sitting over here. So glad you all are here putting first things first, uh, all of you who are watching it at our different campuses and online as well. Let's get into this story. Let, let's unpack the treasures that are here for us. Here is the way it begins. 
The disciples ask this question. I want to I juxtapose these two questions. The disciples ask a question of Jesus, and then Jesus responds with a question for them. And they're both very revealing. The question that the disciples ask of Jesus is, they're looking at it from a very practical, logistical perspective, and they say, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed all of these people out here in the middle of the wilderness? They're not close to a town. They're not close to any place where they could get food easily. And they know they, they barely have enough food to feed themselves. And so they ask, even though, you know, Jesus had to be a little bit, uh, uh, you know, uh, brokenhearted to hear this because he's, weren't you just with me last week when I fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish and now you're wondering how I'm going to do it again? That don't you believe that what I did once I can do again, that, that I'm present? But they're doing what a lot of us do. They're doing my default, which is to look at things practically, to look, to look at things logistically, to, to, to look at things in a very realistic way and say, okay, here's what we're up against. Here's the challenge. Here's a possible way through it, but it's unlikely. And, and here's what we're going to try to do. Here's how we're going to try to get from where we are to, to where we want to be. But the disciples are being so realistic, they're being pessimistic. And the one part of the equation that they're leaving out is they add it all up and they, they do the math, so to speak, is they're forgetting who's present with them. And we do that too. They're forgetting that the presence of the creator of the universe in human form, Jesus Christ, is standing right there with them. And wherever Jesus shows up, it seems, over and over and over again, these miracles keep happening. How are we supposed to find enough food? Well, it's because of who you're with that he's going to provide. God provides for our daily bread. And so Jesus responds with a question for them. Well, what do you have? How much bread do you have? Bring me what you've got. Which is not a subtle question. It's, it's a pretty strong one. Given the track record of miracles that we have read about Jesus doing, at chapter after chapter after chapter up to this point, Jesus, and specifically doing a miracle very much like this just two chapters ago, Jesus is saying, let me remind you of the pattern. <laughs> let me remind you of, of the way this recipe comes together. You bring me your offerings. You bring me what you've got. You bring me your mustard seed of faith and I'll move mountains. You bring me the little that you have. You know, I don't need your perfect faith. I don't need you to be uh, religiously on a mountaintop where, where you've achieved some sort of spiritual goal. I just need you to bring me your mustard seed of faith. I just need you to bring me what you've got. What do you have? Bring me the food that you have and watch what I do with it, Jesus is saying. Watch how I feed the massive crowds. And there were about 4,000 men, the Bible says in the original text, because they only counted adult men back then. So add the women, add the children, do the math, and you're looking at conservatively 10 to 12,000 people who are going to get fed with seven loaves of bread. That's a miracle. Again, it's not the first. It's the next one in a series of miracles. Bring me what you've got. Bring me the offering you have. When you look at what you are up against in life, when you look at your challenges, when some, some of you, it was all you could do today to get yourself out of bed and drag yourself to church because you're up against it. Your heart has been uh, trampled on. It, it's completely broken or, or you're mourning. You're, you're, you're in deep grief over the death of a loved one. And that's real. 
The last thing I want to do today or any day is preach some sort of don't worry, be happy, simplistic sermon that doesn't have any depth or truth to it in God's word. God's word points us to something much more rooted and much deeper and much stronger and much more applicable to where we live in this fallen, messed up, upside down world where sometimes the darkness of evil and the heartbreak and the sorrow and the suffering starts to surround us and starts to attack us and envelops us right where we live. And it gets so overwhelming that our realistic response is, how are we going to get through this? How are, we, how are we going to be able to feed this crowd? How, how are we going to be able to get through this suffering? How, are we going to get, how, am, I going to, how am I ever going to get a mended heart? How, how am I ever going to be able to endure this disease that I've been diagnosed with? How, how am I ever going to get over the mourning, the death of that loved one in my life? How am I ever going to be whole again? How am I ever going to find joy again? Or peace that I used to have when I was, what, three years old? How am I ever going to find that again? How am I ever going to get that back? We're just being realistic, we tell ourselves and each other. We're, 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 not, we're not like wishing upon stars and believing in things that aren't going to happen. We're, we're realists. We're, we're, we're seeing life logistically. We're doing the math. Maybe I keep saying doing the math because it's income tax season. And on the free fillable forms, there's that button that keeps saying, do the math, do the math. And then you hit it and you're like, oh, really? Okay, that's the math. And it is what it is, and that's the way a lot of us approach life. And there's truth to that. There's something to be said for realism and not pretending and, 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 or trying to tell you, just think positive, folks, and everything will get better. You know, sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you're going to need something more. And God provides. God provides for our needs, just like he provided for that crowd that day. With compassion, he says, I, I don't want them to be hungry. They could go home. They could faint on their way home because they haven't had anything to eat, he says. I, I want to make sure that they're fed. I want to make sure that they're full. So I was trying to think of an illustration from this last week of things that maybe collectively we've experienced about people who are going through suffering, people who are going through dark and terrible times. And I have a word from the Lord for Cyclone fans and former Cyclones. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. A time to cry, the Bible says, and that was Friday. I purposely took this picture, which was wider, and I cropped it, and I made it smaller because this young man is an exceptional basketball player, and he dominated the game against our wonderful kids, including a, a kid from Waukee who was trying to stop him, and no matter who we threw out there, Howard, we should have we had some eligibility from you left, put you out there. He could not stop this guy, could not stop him. Part of the reason we couldn't stop him is what I did here on this picture is I cropped off his elbow because that elbow committed two flagrant one fouls that weren't called <laughs> and could have changed the outcome of the game and we'd still be dancing. <laughs> We're Iowa State fans and that's what we do. When we lose, we blame the refs. <laughs> that's mature. Okay, we need to work on that a little bit, a lot of bit, probably. Maybe just ease off on the tweets. Referees are human too. But I'm not letting his elbow get into the holiness of this sermon. I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna bring it in either because that's just wrong. Good guy, good player, really impressed by him, but that elbow. There's a time for everything under heaven. That's God's word. 
That's not just human realism. That's God reminding us. And the same thing Jesus does later. He says, you know, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You should expect that. It's a fallen, messed up, upside down world. There's going to be a time to cry. And and having faith in me doesn't mean that you're going to be immune from that. It doesn't mean you aren't going to suffer. It doesn't mean that you aren't going to die someday in this world. But hang on. Follow me. Because I've got some things covered that might surprise you. I've got some miracles that you can't even imagine. There's a time to cry, the Bible says, and to be fair, to keep our balance, there's a time to dance. Um, I don't know how they're doing right now, and the dance might end soon, or it might go on for another week or two. But for Hawkeye fans, there's a time to dance. At all the other services, when I put this screen up, there's an eruption of cheering. But they're all home watching the game right now. Uh, except for a few, right? So, okay, so we'll just move on. We get the idea, right, that there are different seasons of life. There's good times and there's bad times and all these things are gonna hit us in this world. Do the math. That's what we see. That's the reality of it. So where do we turn? We turn to Jesus. The disciples at least had enough faith to do that. And Jesus gave them the loaves, the loaves that he received from them. Bring me what you've got. What do you have? He took the bread, he blessed it, he gave thanks, and he gave it back to the disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. You go out and feed them. You you go out and become a part of this miracle. That's what I'm really starting to love about the stories now as the miracles develop. At first, it was Jesus doing miracles that the disciples witnessed. Now, almost always, it's Jesus including the disciples in the miracles. Here, here, Take the bread, it's still just seven loaves of bread, divided amongst 12 disciples, that's less than half a loaf each, right? And go out and pass it out, and this had to be the coolest part of the story, right? The most intimidating part of the story for the disciples. So they get the bread, they get a basket, they've got a half loaf or less in there, and they're like, okay, here, how much do you need? Here, you take this, and how much do you, I'm running out, this is kind of scary, and what's going to happen when I get to the third row, and I'm already out of my half loaf of bread? I mean, how, how are people going to be satisfied, this many people, with a half loaf of bread? And I got thousands more to feed. But as they went, they kept looking in the basket, and there was more bread, and there was more fish. No matter how much they handed out, there was always more. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's always more with Jesus. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. How pumped up do you think the disciples were at this point? They come back. They're like, hey, Bartholomew, craziest thing happened to me when I was handing out my half loaf of bread. I couldn't believe it. As I'm passing it out, every time I look in the basket, there's more. How does that happen? And Andrew's going, me too. And then the other 12 disciples are starting to share stories. They're like, what? This happened to all of us? Just like it did two chapters ago? Why are we surprised? (laughs) But the point there is, the miracle isn't just to feed the thousands of people who are there. Although, again, the Bible makes the point of saying everybody was full and satisfied, got more than they needed. It's the blessing for them, but it's also the blessing for the servants. It's also the blessing for any of us who answer the call to serve, who answer the call to be a light wherever it is that you are sent, in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your social circles, in your day-to-day life, to let your light shine, to serve God by serving other people, 
to give God glory by doing these things. When we do this, everything around us can start to change. And we don't just sit back and observe miracles, we become a part of the miracle story. Hope you have another chance to do that during this season of Lent. And I'm not just talking about the mounting and growing number of miracle stories that we're hearing. Maybe, you know, when you preach about miracles, we shouldn't be surprised. But we're hearing stories of people being healed. We're hearing stories of people coming to faith who are atheists. We're hearing stories that are kind of peculiar, but it seems to be, for whatever reason, God is sending us this miracle where people put wedding rings on the wall and they stick. You say, oh, there's got to be some explanation. There's got to be some glue. There's got to be something like that. I don't know what's going on with that. I know, but at a certain point, you get like these macho, burly men guys who come and he's like, there's no way I thought this was going to happen, so I took my ring, I put it on the wall. Whoa, what's going on? Now, again, I'm not going to say that story without giving you this caution. Do not go home, put your ring on the wall, and go, oh, God doesn't love me or my marriage. See, look, it is down. That, that's not it. It just is what it is for who it is. God's Power is breaking through. His kingdom is breaking through, giving us glimpses of the way he's turning this upside-down world right side up and reminding us, as you do the math, as you face the obstacles and the, and the challenges and the suffering in your life, remember to factor into the equation the presence of me, Jesus says. That the same Jesus who was there for the disciples in Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 4 and 3 and 2 and all the miracle stories that are there, the same miracle working Jesus who showed up for them is with you now. And it isn't because your preacher is wishing upon a star or trying to pump you up. It's because the Bible promises. Jesus says, I will be with you always. Not just someday when you die and you meet me in heaven. I'm with you now. I will be with you always by my Holy Spirit. There's nowhere you can go that I'm not with you. Have you thought about that yet today? You are in the presence of Jesus Christ. You're in his house right now, whatever campus or local site you're at right now, but wherever you go, Jesus says, there I am with you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus says. Acknowledge his presence in your life. Now do the math. Now take a look at your sickness. Now take a look at your mourning and your grieving. Now take a look at your suffering. Now take a look at your challenges. Now take a look at your eternity. Now take a look at how long these challenges are going to last. They're all temporary. None of them are going to last forever. But my love for you will, my grace for you will, and in me your life will last forever, Jesus reminds us, because I'm with you. Do the math. Add it up. Make sure Jesus is in the equation, though, as you face all of the issues that you're going to face in this messed up world. You're not alone. And it isn't just so God can do these miraculous blessings for us. It's so that we can participate in them, so that we can be the miracle. During the season of Lent, we're doing this Lenten Outreach Project together as a church. All of our campuses, local sites, all of Hope, all together as one church. And we're calling it Hope Lives Here. We're simply trying to build some houses and renovate some houses for one of the most poverty-stricken neighborhoods in Des Moines, the Riverbend neighborhood, which is just north of downtown Des Moines. Des Moines has gone through a metamorphosis, a, a, a radical transformation downtown over the last 20 years. This kind of came home to me the other day when we had some friends who visited us here 15, 17 years ago, something like that, and then they were back recently 
and they said, my goodness, this city has changed. The transformation downtown, it don't even recognize it. Doesn't even look like it used to look. When we're here day in and day out, if you've lived here for 20 years and you just see Des Moines every day, maybe you kind of take it for granted and you don't see the transformation. Ask somebody who hasn't been here for 15, 20 years. Have them who remembers what it was like and can see what it is now. Radical transformation, which is great. I'm all for it. It's good for the city. It's, it's good for the community. It's good for commerce. It, it, it's, it's just good. But here's the heartbreaking underside of that. If you go north of the freeway from downtown into the first neighborhoods that are across the freeway, just north of Mercy Hospital, a little bit further, you kind of getting the idea? When's the last time you were there? Some of you live there. Our church attracts people from all over the place. And I know our Hope Des Moines campus is, is uh, watching the sermon live right now. So maybe some of you at that campus live there too. But most of us probably haven't been there for a while. They haven't had one new building project in those last two decades in that neighborhood. Not one new house, not one major renovation, not one new business, nothing has come into that neighborhood at any level like it has downtown or in other parts of our city. It just, that is what it is. We live in that kind of an imbalanced world. And that whole justice part of that is another sermon for another day. But here's the part of it that's for us today, right in the midst of this miracle story in Mark 8. We're the disciples, and Jesus says, what have you got? Bring it to me and watch what I do through you. We're partnering with Habitat for Humanity. We're going to build three homes for three of the neediest families in that community. And we're going to do major renovations on 40 homes for people who need those renovations. And we're not talking about upgrading kitchen countertops or, or getting fancy bathrooms. We're, we're talking about like whether or not they're going to have a window or whether it'll just be a piece of plastic and duct tape because they can't afford to get a new window because they have to buy groceries a single mom for her three kids. And so they have to make that choice and they have to make that decision. How is it that a church in their city, us, the largest church in this city, us, could turn a blind eye to that and just say, oh, well, you know, they're kind of on their own, right? That's what the world would tell us to say, and yet Jesus Christ says something else. He says, bring me what you've got, and now you feed them. You go out and serve. You go out and be my hands and my feet. Pastor Jeremy's here. I'm going to invite him up. Everyone say, hi, Pastor Jeremy. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? I know uh, quite a bit about this Lenten project, but Pastor Jeremy knows even more. He is, among many other things that he does around here, he is our outreach pastor uh, for all of hope. And so, Pastor Jeremy, I wanted you to come up and thank you for doing that. I know you're suffering today, too, because you're a Gophers fan, but it was a good run. It was a good run. The slipper did not fit. Cinderella's <laughs> slipper did not fit for us. I think you just needed a, a nun like Loyola had last year to give him a pep talk before every game. Maybe that would have helped. I prayer. thought one Lutheran pastor would be enough, but obviously not. Yeah. <laughs> Fell a little short. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you could go. Yeah. I'm glad you were there. Uh, tell us... Tell us really the, the first big question. Why are we doing this? One of the amazing things that we have here at, at Lutheran Church of Hope is that the season before Christmas, which is called Advent, and the season before uh, Easter, which is Lent, which is what we're in right now, uh, we have historically, traditionally, those of you who've been here for some time, you know this, we ask a question, and we don't ask the question just of our greatest ideas. We ask a question leaning into the Holy Spirit. 
God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, what could you do in us and through us to impact your kingdom, both globally and locally? And one of the things that we've heard as a church over and over and over and over again the last few years is exactly what Pastor Mike was just talking about, is the need for housing. The incredible needs for housing, not just so a few people can have a a home to live in, but housing that helps to shine a light into a place where there isn't a lot of light sometimes. Housing that gives security and gives hope to people who are literally one disrepair away from losing their home. And so as a church, as Pastor Mike said, we can't can't allow that to happen. We, We believe that we've been blessed. We know that we've been blessed. Being here today, you're blessed. And and some of you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are in a situation where you say, "I, I don't need to be a part of this Lent project. I need to be the recipient of that. And we're, church, we're your church, and we, we want to help you. But for a lot of us, we haven't had to think today about whether or not we're going to lose our home, whether or not we're going to have to make a decision on whether we're going to buy groceries, whether we're going to pay our electricity bill, or whether we're going to fix a pipe that's been broken that's, that's costing us more money because of the, the water that keeps running. And we're going to lose that. And so as a church, we have a response. And so that is an incredible way that we have the opportunity to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in our city. Jeremy, what, what, what difference does this make, not just for the 43 families, but, but for the community, for that neighborhood? Talk some more about that. One of the things that uh, research will say that will, that will dictate the success and whether or not a child will thrive is whether or not they feel secure in their home. Whether or not they're going to be receiving the education, whether the, the school that they're going to, whether or not they're going to be able to, to, to hold on to the information that's been given to them is whether or not they feel secure. Whether or not they are going to be able to get, to, to be able to rest, to, to be able to, to be a part of a community is whether or not they feel secure in their home. And when we do that, We're not just affecting 43 families. We're creating a systemic change. We're not. God is. God's creating a systemic change that we can literally be a part of breaking the cycle of poverty in people's lives that go back generations for some people. We get a chance. What does Jesus say? He says, you don't take a light. You don't take your blessings. You don't hide them. No, you take your light and you shine it so that when people see it, they won't see you. They'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so we're going to shine the, the light that we have here at Lutheran Church of Hope. And we're going to shine it very brightly for God's glory. For the glory of God through the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. You know, Jeremy, I get excited to think about what it's going to do for the heart of that neighborhood. And like you said, it's not just those families, but it's what it's going to do for everybody around them. Uh, that they see three new houses, something they haven't seen in, in decades. When they see 40 houses being renovated, if, if we can give that generously at that level, to, to be able to see these things happening, what, what that's going to do for the pride they take in their neighborhood. And they also see unity. They see people that, that are willing to realize what God has called us to and is to realize that we're one. It's not their problem. It's our problem. 
It's a problem that we get to be a part to remind each other that you're not on your own. We are in this with you. And so we get to be a part of that and to, like you said, to, to let people know that we're, we're in this together because we say it all the time, don't we? We always say we're better together. And so we're gonna do this uh, as a church and we're gonna do it alongside our brothers and sisters who live in, this commu- in that community. This is us, this is who we are, and this is what God calls us to be. Jeremy, I am so blessed to work alongside of you and all the pastors here at Hope, and I know this whole church is blessed to have you as one of our pastors. Let's praise God for Jeremy. Thanks a lot for coming up. Come to God, too. Jeremy just told me on the way out because he's so smooth. He's like, make sure you tell him about volunteering uh, because I forgot to ask about that. So two, two things, three things that you can do. Pray about it, number one, most important. Number two, give based on, as Jeremy said, whatever God lays on your heart, let that be your gift. And then it becomes something that you're doing as a matter of faith. And that's gonna, um, that's gonna put you in the sandals of the disciples again. Now you're not just looking at it logistically, you're looking at it through the eyes of faith. And you're saying, God, what do you wanna do through me? When's the last time you went all in on something God's doing in this world? When's the last time you gave your heart, soul, mind, and strength to a movement of Jesus Christ? Like the things that are happening in this church everywhere we look. Are you just observing this revival that God's providing for us or are you riding this wave? Are you doing it in your men's group or your women's group or in some mission opportunity or a mission trip around the world or by participating in prayer classes or worship or whatever it might be? How are you activating your faith? So number one, pray. Number two, give. There are giving baskets all around our campuses, and you can go online and give uh, if that's easier for you to hope uh, lives here, our Lenten Outreach Project. And number three, as Jeremy said while he was going, you can sign up to volunteer online too. Uh, We won't start building until this fall, so this is the pray and giving portion of Hope Lives Here, and then we'll start doing the building portion later. You don't have to be handy. Uh, You don't have to be a construction expert. You don't have to know hammer and nail and all that kind of stuff and power tools because they also need people to uh, make lunches and they need people to uh, come alongside and encourage and they need uh, people to uh, do devotions. Yeah, maybe that's your thing too. So all these things, uh, pray about it and be the church and let God work through you. Remember, Jesus says, what have you got? Bring it to me and now watch, watch what I do when I send you back out after I bless it. As we do this, we start to discover the blessing that we can be for others, but also the blessing we get along the way. And that's the road to victory and to wins. During this uh, March Madness season, it's called the Road to the Final Four that was printed on banners that are all over Wells Fargo Arena this weekend as we hosted some of the early round games. As you think about the path you're on in life, the road that you're on, and you think about where it's leading, I want to ask you this big first order question of life today. Is it going to get you where you want to go? When you think about the biggest questions you could ask in your life and the most important answers to those good, important questions, at what point do you look at it and say, am I really winning? When I was in college, I worked a construction job. I wasn't, don't be impressed. I was just the mixer and the laborer and I was given a sledgehammer to tear down walls for a plasterer in one of the big hospitals in Chicago where I grew up. And the plasterer's name, this is back before drywall was a big deal. He was, he, walls were made by people who plastered them uh, together. It was really an art. It was fun to watch him do it. He was very good at it. His name was Pete. 
uh, Warren Pete Peterson. Pete was an old curmudgeon guy, and every day when I would come in to help him uh, on this construction job, he would ask me the same question. He'd say, hey kid, are you winning? What, what do you, at first I was so intimidated by him I didn't even ask. I'm like, I, I guess so. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I am. But after three months of working alongside of him, we got to know each other. I realized how much he cared about me and I cared about him and he was a mentor for me. And so I said, Pete, what do you mean? One of those days he asked me. What, 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 do, you, what do you mean winning? What, what, what's winning? How do you define winning? He never answered it. Part of the reason is because he was on a smoke break for four hours a day, but the other four that he was with me, <laughs> the other four that he was with me, he's like, oh, you'll figure it out, kid. Are you winning? And he was a man of faith, and I think that's what was underneath it. Are you asking the right questions? Are, are you keeping score the right way? Are you doing the math the right way? Are you sure the road you're on, even if you achieve it, even if you get to the destination you want to get to, are you sure that's a victory? Are you sure that's the victory you want? Are you sure it's gonna satisfy you? Are you sure it's gonna satisfy your soul? Is it gonna be enough? Have you ever heard the phrase, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world but lose a soul? You know that's in the Bible, right? Guess where it is in the Bible? This story, Mark chapter eight. Right after Jesus feeds the thousands of people, he takes his disciples and he says to them, what does it profit one of you men to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Are you really winning? Are you really winning if you achieve all of that worldly success but you give up your soul along the way? You, you stop traveling the road you were actually created to travel, the one God made for you? You were created by a God who gave you a life for, pur for a purpose. And he puts you on a pathway and says, I want you to take this pathway. Now, he gives you the freedom to take an exit off of that pathway. And a lot of, most of the world does. And we say, I'm gonna start living for the things the world says. I'm gonna make life all about me and getting others to serve me. And the more people I get to serve me, the more power I have. And the more power I have, the more I'm clearly winning. Look closer. Look closer at the souls of the people who are winning and hear Jesus' words again. What does it profit you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is it enough? When we make life all about us and getting others to serve us, we miss the point. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you, get over yourself. Go ahead and just say that. Get over yourself. And we say that over and over and over again here in this church because it's the gateway to the rest of your life. It's the gateway to freedom for you. It's the gateway to joy for you. It's the gateway to peace for you that you haven't felt since you were three. Make life about God and giving glory to God and serving God and serving others for the glory of God and it will unlock this door for you and there is no substitute. This is the road you were created to travel. No matter how loud the noise is, it says, no, you're not gonna win if you're serving other people. You're only winning if they're serving you. You're only winning if you make life all about you and you make it. And then the world goes on and the noise of the world says, trust no one except yourself. Don't believe in miracles. Ask what faith can do for you. And if it isn't doing anything for you, dump it. 
And give your soul to worldly pursuits. Go ahead and chase after it because that's what life is all about. And if you are religious at all, use religion to achieve your worldly goals. And if religion isn't getting you to achieve your prosperity and worldly goals, then dump it. Let it go. Blame God. So I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to go after the important things in life. Jesus Christ comes along and he says, let me tip that upside down world right side up for you. Let me show you that down is up and up is down and you've been getting it all wrong. And all that noise you've been hearing is just noise. And it's static and it's time to learn how to tune it out. Do the math. First start by realizing Jesus Christ is with you and realize you're not on a road to to some worldly victory that's gonna satisfy your soul but to find a real victory in life and real wins in life. Start by answering Jesus' call to serve. That's what you and I were made for from our Bible reading for today, Mark 8. Take what you've got, bring it to Jesus, let him bless it, and then have him send you out with that mustard seed of faith, and he'll show you how to move mountains. Trust God to give us this day our daily bread. Trust him for that. We pray it in the Lord's Prayer, and I encourage you to be praying that Lord's Prayer every day as a part of your prayer life. It's the prayer Jesus taught, and along the way, it teaches us, it reminds us who we are and whose we are and what our purpose is in life and what road we should be walking. God, we trust you to provide for us. We trust you to provide our daily bread, which means our daily needs, everything we need for this life. Trust God for that. Three, believe in miracles, the miracle stories we've been reading, the miracles we've been experiencing around hope. Four, settle the biggest question in your heart which comes right after the verse where Jesus says, what does it profit one of you disciples to lose, to to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Right after that, Jesus asks a question. And it's the biggest and most important question you'll ever be asked. There are some big questions that some of you have been asked, will you marry me, right? What what, uh, career path are you gonna pursue? What are you going to do after high school? All these kinds of big questions, right? They're big. I'm not trying to say they aren't big. Those are big questions. And your answers should be well thought out. But there's a way bigger one. Because the way you answer this question has eternal consequences. Long after the answers to all those other questions are done, this will still matter more than anything else. So Jesus realizes it's like halftime on his way to the cross. That's where his road is leading. And his, through the eight chapters of the first half of Mark's gospel, we see miracle after miracle after miracle. And so Jesus takes his team, the disciples, into the locker room, if you will, after the first half of the game. And he looks looks at them and he asks them this biggest, most important question of their lives or our lives. It's so simple. It, It might underwhelm you at first. But the more you think about it, the more you won't be able to shake it, and the more you'll realize there couldn't be a more important question. Jesus asked his followers, who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? If we get this one wrong, we get on the wrong road. We start chasing after things that aren't gonna satisfy our souls. We wander away from the real power. We wander away from from the real light. We wander away from the victories. We wander away from from winning, what what a real win is. And and we discover a bunch of futility and frustration and hollowness and, and disappointment. Get back on my road, Jesus says. 
who do you say that I am? The disciples, they're like very careful at first. Well, some people say, it's always easier to answer it that way, right? Some people say you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the great prophets from the Old Testament. Jesus says, okay, great, fine. Who do you say that I am? I already know what the world says about me. I want to know what you, my followers, say about me. Who do you say that I am? Settle this biggest question in your heart. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Peter blurts out on behalf of all of us, thank the Lord for Peter. He says, I say you're the Messiah. Some of the other disciples are like, that's what I was going to say, but I was kind of afraid to say it. I mean, what if I was wrong? (laughs) I say you're the Messiah, which is a loaded statement. Messiah means the Christ, the anointed one of God, the one we've been waiting for for centuries. You're not just another prophet. You're the one. You're the son of God. You're the one our world's been waiting for to save us. Jesus responds in a way that makes it clear. He's saying, that's right. So now let me make sure you know what it means to be the Messiah. And this is going to rock Peter's world. To be the Messiah means this road that we're on, this miracle road we're on, we're going to go to Jerusalem on this road. That's next. And that's where our Lenten journey is going to take us too, right into Holy Week. We're going to follow this road into Jerusalem. And once I get to Jerusalem, the holy city, I'm going to be handed over to the authorities, arrested, whipped, beaten, mocked, crucified, executed on a cross, and three days later rise from the dead. It's going to be awesome. Let's go. And Peter says, "Um, that's not what I meant. To paraphrase. He says, Jesus, no, no, no. That road we're on, I'm so glad to hear you say it's going to Jerusalem. Because when we get into Jerusalem, we're going to take over the temple. We're going to restore our Jewish heritage to what it was supposed to be once upon a time. Instead of the corruption of the chief priests who run the place now. We're going to turn it over. We're going to turn it right side up. We're going to get our religion right. And then while we're at it and we're in Jerusalem, let's take over this part of Rome so we won't be occupied by the empire anymore. Let's take over governments. Let's make sure the people we want to get elected get elected. What could possibly be more important than that? Jesus' response is pretty strong. He doesn't mince words. He says, Peter... Get behind me, Satan, because you're seeing victory and winning from a worldly perspective. Instead of seeing victory and true winning for what it really is, from a godly, heavenly perspective, come and follow me and I'll show you a better path that will lead you to a better victory, that will lead you to wins that you didn't even imagine that you could have. You think the miracles I've been doing so far are good? You ain't seen nothing yet. Baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. When we get there, when we get to the cross and the empty tomb, you're going to realize that I didn't just come to take over a government and to get people elected, and I didn't just come to take over some religion in one part of the world. I came to conquer timeless enemies that no human being and no army could ever conquer. I came to win a victory over the darkness of your evil. I came to wipe out sin and its accompanying guilt and shame, and I came once and for all to take on your death and to destroy it. Come and follow me. Victory. Winning. 
real winning. Which kind of roadmap, what kind of GPS are we following? Are we following the GPS that Michael Scott from The Office followed when he took it right into the river? Because that's what it told him to do? At a certain point, hit the brakes. Get back on the path you were created to walk. Come and take the road to victory in life. Come and follow me. Settle the biggest question in your heart. Who is Jesus Christ? And then follow him. Don't lose your soul for the world. Jesus puts it right this way. Succinctly, directly in this story in Mark chapter 8. He says to his disciples, look, you've seen all these miracles now. You have eyes. Can't you see? The kingdom is crashing into this upside down world and starting to turn it right side up. Get on board. Don't listen to the noise of this world. Don't be distracted. Come and follow me. You have eyes. Can't you see? Next words out of Jesus' mouth that I didn't put on the screen. You have ears. Can't you hear? This is a picture from a movie that I really like. A lot of people don't like it. I, I loved it. It's on Netflix. It's called Henry Poole is Here. Hardly anybody's heard of it. But it stars Luke Wilson. It's a, one of the very few mainstream movies that handles Christianity with respect, that handles faith in Jesus Christ with respect. And it's not in some sort of um, simplistic way where, you know, it's just obvious that's what Jesus is gonna win, yay. Because Luke actually, Luke Wilson, Henry Poole in this movie, plays the atheist who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Only God starts rearranging the furniture in his life. He moves into his old childhood home, and next door to him is a woman named Esperanza. How, how well do any of you remember your Spanish, or do you know your Spanish, if you're fluent in Spanish? What does Esperanza mean, Spanish speakers? It means hope moved next door to Henry Poole, the man who's dying of cancer. And then he goes to the grocery store, and he's buying vodka, over and over again because he's drinking himself to death because he's so depressed and angry about his terminal diagnosis. And the very kind and compassionate cashier, whose name is, you just gotta love this, Patience. <laughs> Patience looks at Henry Poole and says, doesn't even know him, says, are you sad or angry or both? And do you want to talk about it? What's really kind of beautifully ironic is she's almost legally blind. Her glasses are so thick, you, you just can't miss it. She can hardly see. You have eyes, Jesus says, but can you see? She can see. And she's about to see in a new way, too, because Henry Poole goes home, and it's a, it's a spectacle. <laughs> the stucco on his house has this stain on it, and the stain, according to his neighbor Esperanza, hope, is in the image of Jesus Christ. And so Esperanza, Hope gets, all of, Hope gets all of her friends to come over, and they start praying in front of this image of Jesus Christ. Now let me hit the pause button there for a moment, because I want you to understand where we stand and what we teach as a church about these things. We, you have probably noticed if you've been around here for a while, do not just jump on every little whim and thing, and so they say, oh, we saw the Virgin Mary in the clouds, so everybody bow down and worship the clouds. How do you know what the Virgin Mary looks like? I mean, I'm just saying, you say, well, I've seen pictures. How did the people who made those pictures know what the Virgin Mary looks like? You say, well, th this is Jesus on this stucco, uh, according to some of his neighbors who want to believe this. How do you know what Jesus looks like? 
It's funny, for Lutherans who grew up in North Dakota, Jesus looks Norwegian. <laughs> and, and, and for uh, Chinese people who grew up in China, he looks Chinese. And for Africans who grew up in Africa, he looks African. He probably is somewhere in between all those things. Probably looked like a Jewish man from the Middle East, which is what he was. So here's Jesus, but we don't have any photos of him. We don't know. So it's like, oh, it's clearly Jesus. How do, how do you know? But this movie is beautifully done. And at least somebody who's writing it has to have some experience with faith and does this in a respectful way to the point where you start to realize it's not the stain, it's not the image, it's Jesus himself who's doing this healing. It's the presence of God. So Patience hears about this and she comes over to the house and prays to Jesus in Henry's backyard. And this is what happened. This is what happens. See if you can't find yourself somewhere in this scene, either in the doubt of Henry, the faith of Patience, or the deep kind of mic drop that the neighbor puts on Henry at the end. Take a look. Miracles are all around us if you look for them, and God oftentimes shows up right in the middle of our mess. Some of you don't feel like you're worthy of God showing up in your life. Some of you feel like God's given up on you. Some of you feel like life is just too normal or mundane for that kind of thing. God always shows up right in the middle of our messes, right in the middle of wherever you're at, whatever brought you in here today. And he shows up, and sometimes it's in those big external ways of somebody getting healed. And if you don't think that that happens anymore, look around you. It's happening all the time. These stories keep happening of God showing up, but miracles can also look a lot of different ways. Last week, we talked about how we are called to worship right in the middle of whatever mess we're in. Whether you're hurting today, whether you're grieving, whether you're confused, whether you're apathetic to this whole thing, God calls us to worship. And so last week we did this uh, activity where we wrote some of those things down on colored sheets of paper. And so you see on the wall, that new wall that we built over there is kind of our, it's kind of our miracle wall. And as you go over there and you read those stories, it's not all big, huge, amazing things, but it's amazing in our own unique ways of the times that God has shown up again and again and again. And so if you didn't get a chance to do that uh, last week, we've got our creative teams out in the lobby today. On your way out today, stop out and grab one of those colored sheets of paper and write on there your hallelujah, your way of saying, God, I'm going to worship you whether my miracle has happened or whether it hasn't happened yet. And I'm going to write a way that you've shown up in my life. I'm going to write that on there and then that'll get added to that wall in this next week as we'll continue with that throughout Lent. Miracles look in all different ways, but God always shows up for us. Not in the ways that we would expect, but he says, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he does that today. Whatever you walked in here with, God meets you where you are. And he always shows up. So we're not just going to talk about it today, we're going to sing about it. We're going to end with a song appropriately called Miracles. Let's stand, let's sing together.